Welcome to the Do Something Beautiful podcast. I am your host, Leah Darrow, and I share with you inspirational people who are truly doing something beautiful to make our world better. We are inspired by Mother Teresa who said, do something beautiful for God. Do it with your life. Do it every day. Do it in your own way, but do it. Welcome, friends, back to the Do Something Beautiful podcast. I am your host, Leah Darrow. I am happy to be with you again for another episode. We get to talk today about one of my favorite topics, beauty. I get to talk with Father Gregory Maria Pine. He is an expert, so to speak, on this topic and many other things. Father Gregory Maria Pine is a Dominican priest who loves to discuss beauty, faith, reason, art, and St. Thomas Aquinas, naturally. Uh, He is the assistant director of campus outreach of the Thomistic Institute. He's a frequent contributor to the podcast, Godsplaining. Make sure you get that one in your uh, podcast uh, subscriptions. And Pints with Aquinas with our good friend, Matt Frad. Father Gregory, thanks so much for being on the podcast. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. So we're going to get right into it. You love talking about beauty, Father. I love Mm. talking about beauty, Father. Mm. Um, Let's talk about beauty. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's do it. All right. So before, but before we go in there, I, I, we always love to hear these vocational stories, like you're in the sense of piece of your witness. Um, tell us a little bit about that. Like, how did you come to this place where you're wearing this beautiful white Dominican robe? Like how, how did that happen? Okay. Um, let's see. Okay. So a way of explaining a vocation story because before giving a vocation story, because at least my impression of vocation stories is that sometimes they're kind of sensational or fantastic. And um, many people are inspired by that, but I think that some people are actually discouraged by it because um, if it need be sensational or fantastic, then what about me who was like born Catholic and then was raised Catholic and then died Catholic and everything in between was basically boring. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I was, I was reading St. Augustine's homilies on the gospel of John. And in John two at the miracle of the wedding feast of Cana, he asked the question, like, what is the nature of this miracle? Um, And he says, God, you know, the Lord Jesus takes water and makes it into wine. But he says, let's pause and consider what is the ordinary course by which wine is made? It says the rains fall and water the fields, the vines grow, the vintner gathers the grapes, crush them, ferments them, and then you get wine. But effectively, you start with rain and then you get wine, which is to say that water becomes wine. So then what's the nature of the Lord's miracle? Well, he does instantaneously what ordinarily takes time. So what's extraordinary about it is that it kind of points to how very marvelous is the ordinary course. So my vocation story is basically boring, (laughs) but um, I think a lot of people's quote unquote vocation story is boring, but that signals the fact that, um, you know, it's still, well, I bring up this example just to say that it's, it's still beautiful that God does ordinarily something that is equally marvelous as what he does extraordinarily, namely that God works interiorly in the human heart by the offer of grace to heal us and to elevate us and to implicate us in his plans, which is beautiful and dramatic. So boring. Yes, undoubtedly. Who cares? Um, But still good. Still good. So um, I was born. It was boring. I grew up. It was boring. And now I'm here. And it was boring. Um, Beautiful. uh, (laughs) Beautiful story, Father. You captivated us. Every word. Um, So I I was born Catholic family. My parents are very faithful. Um, You know, I have sisters and a brother who are very faithful. And for us, faith was always kind of like part, part. Yeah, it was just part of life, uh, an integral part of life. And so daily family rosary, 
was always, um, yeah, it was, it was a staple, uh, not one that I was especially pleased with for many years of my life. I often just laid, you know, prostrate on the floor and mumbled into the carpet to did my, I did my best to communicate my displeasure with this whole situation. Um, but like, I mean, as a result of living in a Catholic culture, it kind of dawned on me that this was something to be interiorized. It was something to be uh, done. Like I should be an agent, a protagonist of this rather than just like passively receiving it like a bump on a log. And so, yeah, like in high school, I, I was especially inspired by the testimony of the saints. It was evident to me that they were very much alive and I wanted to be alive like they were. Um, I didn't have like the best friendships at the beginning of high school um, because yeah, I kind of like chose not to because they're like, Hey, do you want to do these things? And I was like, ah, I think I'll hang out with my parents. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so high school was great for like getting inspired by saints, kind of getting into prayer and then, um, starting to form some good friendships. And then I went to Franciscan university of Steubenville and, uh, like discernment was part of the culture there, I suppose. And, um, my freshman year, I had her talk by a professor named Eleanor Stump on Aquinas on the nature of love. And this is this is kind of nerdy, but uh, it was it just it was especially captivating, kind of made my socks go up and down. I left there just devastated because I knew some things about the faith. Like I knew like this holy person said this thing or like this wise person said this thing. And then like this, I don't know, priest preached this thing. But I didn't really know. I, I couldn't see how it all cohered. And then she was explaining this with precision and clarity and a real depth of insight. And I was like, whoa, this Aquinas fellow seems like the bee's knees. I should check him out. So then I picked up a book about St. Thomas Aquinas by Louis DeWall, who writes these historical fiction, Lives of Saints. Okay. One of the ones that's most electric electric is uh, Set All Afire about St. Francis Xavier. But I read the one about St. Thomas Aquinas, and it was just abundantly evident to me that I wanted to love the Lord the way that he loved the Lord. Like I'd had desires, kind of ill-formed desires to be to do great things and to like mm-hmm. love the Lord in a contemplative and studious way. And um to be of service to the people of God and to, you know, grow in perfect charity. And then I saw it all kind of come together in St. Thomas. And I was just like, whoa. So, so before that book, I was like, you know, I want to do whatever and blah, 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 and thus and such. And then after that book, I was like, I want to become a Dominican priest. Um, I hadn't yet met a Dominican priest. Uh, so fortunately, <laughs> the order was still around, uh, for which I'm grateful. And then, yeah, just kind of started, started visiting and then entered and then dot, dot, dot. Here we are. Dot, dot, dot. Here we are. I love it. So many good things about how you explained all of that. I And the simplest and most profound thing I think that you've said so far, I know there's going to be quite a few after this, but um, is just how natural and ordinary our lives can be. And God is is working in that space of the natural and the ordinary to do the marvelous. And especially when it comes to discernment and vocation, so many people are seeking something, someone just seeking in general. Um, And if they're not on the path that's sensationalized, if they're not on the path that's at every moment, there is the massive big blinking sign, like keep going, keep going, keep going. Then they, they think they're lost when they're on the path. And it's beautiful to hear you speak of vocation and your vocation story is this ordinary experience when dot, 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 there you are right here. Uh, I, I find that also in vocations to married life where I hear, I often will ask the question to a couple of, Oh, how did you meet? And it's like, they feel disappointed 
by the fact that they said, well, I met this person. I went on a date and then we got married, I guess, years later. And you're like, that's beautiful, though. You you encountered another human being and both of you sat and, 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 and talked long enough. And over so many over so many days and months and years, at some point you thought, let's let's be together forever. That's massive. But we it's it's ordinary, though. And unless you have this massive moment and this huge, like, you know, fireworks are going out of, well, he picked me up in his helicopter and he flew me to the top of the Grand Canyon and then we parachuted down. And you're like, this is not a reality TV show, people. It's the beautiful, ordinary works of life that God, you know, desires us to be closest to him in those moments, right? And brings us to whomever it is he's calling us to uh, hitch our wagon to, so to speak. I just love that. I think that's really, really great. Um, so, so here you are. You're a Dominican priest. Um, you love Thomas Aquinas. I did not. I was always intimidated by Thomas Aquinas. And I, and I mean, great. And I still am like, without a doubt, like, it's not like, Oh, now I'm fine. Aquinas and I buds, like we could have deep discussions and I'd be mm. right there with them. I'd, I'd still be like, okay, all right. Another new thing blowing my mind. But I first was really introduced to him by my um, by my one of my professors in in working towards my master's in theology, um, Professor Douglas Bushman, who loves 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 him and shared his love with us as students in the class. Um, but he is so daunting to so many people, and I think when people say, "Oh, I'm a Thomist," you're like, "Oh, <laughs> well, good for you." <laughs> So happy that you're a Thomist, and uh, but it, it's it's intimidating because God gifted him with this beautiful intellect to explain these beautiful truths of the faith, and instead of just receiving and going deeper, many of us pull back, being like, "I can't do that." Oh, you're going to talk Aquinas, and it's this barrier of like, "Oh, they're talking Aquinas over there." Like we couldn't possibly stretch our mind to dive into conversations like this. How do you respond to that sentiment when, when, when it's, when it's brought up or not brought up? Sure. Um, I guess my, my basic approach for most people is I feel like in the present day, there are a lot of options and everyone presents their option as if it were the only option. So kind of like my first approach is to say, if you're not into it, that's awesome. You know, like do something else. It's no big deal. Um, Like if you don't, if you're not into St. Thomas Aquinas or if you find it super difficult or dry or otherwise unhelpful to you spiritually, yeah, it's just, you're, you're, you're fine. You're doing great. Um, you, you gotta have some heavenly friends because, um, those kind of friendships, which we would just call, you know, like devotion to certain saints are the types of things that draw us up into the life of heaven, the kind of bonds of communion, which ensure that our treasure lies there. So, so we need you know, holy friends and smart holy friends in heaven in order to direct us in the path of righteousness because the Lord has appointed it such, but it doesn't need to be St. Thomas Aquinas. Um, for those who are like, all right, I'm on the fence, you know, like it might be for me, but I tried reading an article of the Summa and it was just devastation station. So what do I do? Um, I would say, think about it in terms of translation. Okay. So there are a lot of hidden, a lot of beautiful, a lot of good things on offer in the world. But not all of them are immediately accessible. So you think about like the novels of Fyodor Dostoevsky, for instance. Okay. I just read one with a friend, well, with a brother. 
um, he wrote these like four big ones that people are into crime and punishment and then the idiot and then demons. And then the one with which people are most familiar, the brothers Karamazov. So I've read, I've read now I've read all of them and I don't understand them. Um, Mm -hmm. so I'm just being honest. I just don't understand them. A lot of people like, Oh my gosh, Dostoevsky, best thing ever crime and punishment, best novel ever, or like brothers K best novel ever. I just, I just don't get it. And the thing is I'm reading the book in English. Okay. So like it's already been translated from Russian to English. So shouldn't I be able to like access the meaning, but it's more difficult than that. Like it's more complicated than that because historically and ideologically, not like in the bad sense of ideology, but like in the good sense of, you know, the thought world, um, his world is very distant from mine. And so if I'm going to really understand it and appreciate it um, as I maybe ought to, I need to do the work of translation. So there's this guy from Princeton named Joseph Frank who wrote like a five volume, huge, like compendious introduction to Dostoevsky. Like if I really want to understand Dostoevsky, like maybe I'd, maybe I'd read that or maybe I'd read like a one volume biography or just like read a little bit about the period so I could better sympathize with it. Because ultimately like love is a kind of knowledge, right? So Love, by giving us a sympathy with the thing, affords us, um, yeah, just like a greater capacity to access what's on offer. When you think about it, like um, when you when you when you grow gradually to love somebody, you understand them better and better because whereas formerly maybe their idiosyncrasies or tics would drive you up a wall. um, Now it's less so because you have like a kind of, yeah, just like a greater appreciation for the person. And, you know, maybe their post-nasal drip used to drive you batty. But now when you go to church and you hear them on the other side of the congregation, you're like, oh, man, like my friends over there. And it's for you, it's like a kind of occasion of affection. So love, like a sympathy with the thing actually gives us access to it. It opens it up in such a way that we can better appreciate it and love it. Um, So I think with St. Thomas, his vocabulary is foreign to us. His grammar is foreign to us. His culture is foreign to us, you know, and so like. Maybe, maybe we could do like a little bit of work, like read a biography of St. Thomas. That's how I did it. I wasn't like, you know what? I'm going to find the nerdiest, bestest description <laughs> of the faith. I just like read a book about St. Thomas Aquinas. And I was like, this man is a tremendous lover of the Lord Jesus. And he just warmed his way into my affection so that when I approached his text, I was like, this, this is the prose of a man who loves the Lord Jesus Christ in a way that I find very, very compelling. So like what's on offer here? Like I was, I was motivated to access it. And then the last thing I would say is, like, don't start with the Summa, right? St. Thomas preached homilies, which homilies are said to have moved his auditors to tears. Um, And so, like, one of them, I mean, there's a collection of homilies on the Creed and a collection of homilies on the Hail Mary, a collection of homilies on the Our Father. It's a great place to start because they're very theologically rich. You know, sometimes you go to Mass and you hear a homily and you're like, wow, you know, like I learned some stuff and that learning of stuff actually helped me to love the Lord better. Like that's kind of the impression with which you leave from having read one of St. Thomas's homilies. So yeah, Sophia it seems Institute- to lead you to, it seems to lead you to, I'm not sure what the right word is, but a deeper prayer or a, a place where you take that little nugget from that saint or, or wherever you heard something and you end up praying and meditating on that and, and drawing you in into Christ. And I think that's, the beauty of what those little pieces can do if there's something that you can kind of just uh, attach yourself to in that moment. So you, I, 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 I'm sorry I interrupted you, but you were talking to about, uh, I think we were just getting into the Thomistic Institute um, that you, that you work with. Tell, tell me about that and how does that help us understand um, Aquinas a little bit? Nice bump set. Permit me to spike. Um, <laughs> 
So the Thomistic Institute uh, was started 10, 11 years ago as a research institute of the Dominican House of Studies, <clears throat> which is where Dominicans from my province have their education. And we also have a bunch of excellent other religious priests, lay students here. And um, the kind of sense at the time was like, yeah, we've got we've got an abundance of riches. Let's host some conferences. Let's do some programming so that way people can learn St. Thomas better, basically. Um, but we can also deepen thought within this tradition. And then four or five years ago, we started the campus chapters program. So it's like, okay, let's let's kind of mobilize this or make this more like a project of intellectual evangelization. So now students on college campuses can organize and form chapters of the Thomistic Institute, and then they host lectures and retreats and conferences. Um, and then we provide kind of supplementary materials for them to continue like throughout the course of the semester to congregate and to meditate on these themes. So we're at like maybe 60 universities throughout the U.S., Canada, uh, the U.K. and China. And um, yeah, just a variety of students involved who are awesome because they're, they're really the protagonists of the work. So they're the ones that are generating the ideas, inviting the speakers, hosting the events, having the follow ons, getting together for book discussions or watch groups. They're the ones who are like making the thing excellent. Um, something that we've done in the last year, basically at the student's request, is to start making videos on the thought of St. Thomas, which are, which are introductory. So it's all, all told, it'll be like 85, 86 videos right now, or maybe like through 60 of them. We release one a week, um, which just take you by the hand and walk you through the thought of St. Thomas Aquinas. <clears throat> some of them are pitched more um, casually. Some of them are pitched a little more academically, but in general, they're all accessible. Um, and they're just uh, the first 25 or three to five minutes, um, just an introduction to who St. Thomas is and then the basics of his philosophy. So like, you know, weird Aristotelian people talk about the four causes, like what does that mean? And is it helpful? Who mm -hmm. cares? Um, and then the remaining 60 videos just walk you through the Summa Theologiae. And it's not like now we will go on to question 25, article two. It's mm -hmm. like um, it's trying to synthesize basically the main themes. So St. Thomas talks about the emotions, for instance. There he talks about love and desire and joy. Like, what, what does that mean for me? And um, like, what can I hope to gain from his discussion, which will actually have practical application in my life? So yeah, they're beautifully animated by Coronation um, uh, Studios in Emmitsburg, Maryland. And then you have different Dominicans from the house here. Um, and it's great. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. I love it. This is probably the worst way to summarize what you just said. I fully agree, but it's kind of like what you're saying to me reminds me of like the Cliff Notes version of Thomas. He just probably is so mad that I just said that. No, but, he's but a big in, fan. But in a way of, of taking those points that he's making in each piece and, the, and, you know, extrapolating it so that we can at least begin to understand what that is that he's speaking of. So when you go to read the original text, you you already kind of can go in with your feet wet, love. Okay, I have an idea of where he's going to go with this. And that is so helpful when you're studying um, Aquinas. It is so helpful when you're reading anything to have like that introduction before you dive into the original text. Because if you dive into original text and you are not familiar with his style of writing and, and how he goes through um, each prose and, and, and suggestions and questions and everything else, it, it, it's overwhelming. It's absolutely overwhelming. I know it was for me. I'm speaking only from personal experience, but I just remember thinking, who is this person? And why can't you just write a sentence a way that I can understand it? <laughs> because he's, but I have realized that he was, he was giving me the questions that I should be asking first 
and then helping me go through, you know, everything else. It's just beautiful. Now I'm like, okay, this is this, or I like this way, but it does take a while to wrap your head around that type of when, when you read him, it's very similar in terms of the frustration of me personally reading John Paul II, who I swear just, he, he is a, he is a man who loves the comma more than anybody else on the planet. Colin on all of my lady friends right here. If you are looking for community in a place that is private and off social media, if you're wanting to go deeper in your faith, but you have no idea where to begin and a master's program is not in the cards for you at this moment, you need to check out the Lux Network. You can go to theluxuniversity.com to find out more, but we have created the very first Catholic app for Catholic women that does just that. It brings you community of women in a private setting. It gives you all of the courses from Lux University, courses on the faith, courses on theology taught by experts in the field. We also bring to you live prayer, live weekly prayer at the Rosary and Divine Mercy Chaplet. And we have our chaplain, Father Michael O'Loughlin, who guides us every single week in a gospel reflection. There is so much of that and more inside the new Lux Network go ahead, come and join us at theluxuniversity.com. Find out what it's all about. You can choose between one of two plans. And yes, <laughs> I did name them after food. You can choose the chips and salsa plan, which is the prayer in the community, or you can choose the whole enchilada. That's actually the name of it. And that is the prayer. That is the devotionals. That is the community. And that is Lux University, which is really what most women truly do come for is that whole enchilada plan. But come on in. If you are looking for a place to connect with other Catholic women and, and really connect with them, if you want a place where you can pray live with other Catholic women in a private setting off of social media, if you want to deepen your faith, learn more about it, have the answers uh, to the questions that you've been asking for a long time, then you, know, you need to check out Lux University inside that Lux app too. This is here for you. We are here for you. We truly believe that you are a light and yet you are a leader and we are happy to help you get there. Come join us inside Lux. Like one sentence can go on for pages and you're just like, where, where does it end? There's so many thoughts wrapped up in all of these things. And so it's, you have to kind of, I, whenever I would read him, I would go through and find where literally the sentence ended. And I'd be like, okay, what is he trying to do on this whole page of one sentence? And then I have to dissect it back and kind of reverse engineer the whole process because his brain is just working in a way that's not natural for me to, to read or to even think because they're brilliant. But, but le okay, let me go into really quickly something that obviously Aquinas spoke or uh, wrote a lot on, which is the transcendentals. And obviously we're the Do Something Beautiful podcast. We talk about beauty a lot. And I, I end every podcast with, 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 and it's based on Mother Teresa and her quote of do something beautiful for God, do it with your life, do it every day, do it in your own way, but do it. And um, doing something beautiful, what would Aquinas have to say about that? Well, how would he, how would he understand that? How would he define that of how do you do something beautiful? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> let's go. Here we go. Okay, let's go. <laughs> I'm, um, I'm ready. I'll dig. So, um, what, so the transcendentals, same time, you know, we're, we're accustomed to hear beauty, 
goodness and truth, different, different orders for different people, but those are the ones about which we hear most. For St. Thomas, what it means to be a transcendental is it's the type of thing that transcends the different categories of being. So St. Thomas like looks at the created world and kind of like divides it up. It's like we've got substances, you know, like cats and trees and human beings and maybe like loaves of bread, you know, things that, you know, they're, they're the types of things that we point out and we say, you know, that's a thing. And then he says, we've got accidents and not like I made a mistake or I tripped or I didn't foresee that. Um, but accidents in the things, excuse me, in the sense that these are the types of things that only really exist in a substance. All right. So I, for instance, am tall, skinny, hungry, haggard. These are all qualities of my being, right? So those things, they're not like walking around out there, right? In the living flesh. They're, they're qualities of my being. They're, they're an accident. So St. Thomas goes through and lists like the different ways that we can describe being like quantity, quality, relation, blah, blah, blah. Okay. So he's got, he's got a list of 10 of these things. But he's saying that in all of these different categories of being, we perceive certain common elements. These he calls the transcendentals. First, he says is being. Everything that is, is. Okay, that's not the most interesting sentence that I've said, but there you have it. Also, oneness or unity. Everything that is has a kind of coherence to it, right? So it it holds together. Um, It's divided from other things. And then he goes... Uh, everything that is is also true, which is to say it's knowable. So because it exists, you have some access to it, right? You can look at it and you'd be like, you know, that's a weird looking dog, you know, bizarre looking dog. Like, is that a mix of, I don't know, like an Airedale and a Chihuahua? What a weird looking dog, you know, but you still access the fact that it's a dog. Okay. Um, and then he says, okay, now we can add to that the fact that it's good. So not only can I know it, but I desire it. So I am inclined towards it in some way, um, even if only in a very simple way. So like that dog, I'm like, man, look at that thing. I'm allergic to dogs, but I would still I would still snuggle it, you know, for sure. I might like head outside right now for like a little snug session uh, because it's that is a precious dog. Um, so like because I can know it, then I am inclined to it. And then he adds. So, yeah, depending on who you're talking to, beauty is the last transcendental that he would describe. And beauty, he says, is a kind of combination of truth and goodness, right? So it's, he says, we call those things beautiful, which when seen, please. So it's fascinating that he doesn't describe beauty. He doesn't say like beauty is this and give you a nice, clear definition. It's more like he describes our experience of it. It's the type of thing that when seen, pleases. So on the one hand, it's got like elements of truth to it, right? It's something that needs to be seen. So when we talk about knowing something, we often say, like, I see it, right? So it's, it, in, it involves a kind of vision. Um, and St. Thomas will associate beautiful experiences, especially with sight and sound, mm-hmm. because he says, those are the senses which are most knowledgeable, basically. Those are the senses that are most like knowing. Um, but it, it pleases. It causes us a kind of like rest or contentment, a kind of ecstatic experience where we go out towards it and we delight in it. So it's, it also has a kind of resonance with the good. So for him, beauty is like a combo factor of our experience of the true and our experience of the good. But um, not, not just in like this basic sense that we've been describing, but it adds a further dimension, a further note of perfection. So it's like, I wouldn't say, you know, if let's say that that dog that was toddling by was very sick, was very mangy. Uh, let's say that it had just been purchased from the SPCA and it had been like, unfortunately, like abused by its last owner. I wouldn't say that's beautiful, 
right? But when that dog is cleaned up, you know, when that dog is fed well, when that dog gets to play in its backyard, you know, when that dog gets to enjoy a hospitable home and owners that love it, you see it come, you know, kind of like come to its full term. You see it come to its perfection. And then you're like, wow, that's like a really beautiful dog, a really majestic dog, a really cute dog or something like that. So it's remarkable in that it's especially knowable. It's especially good. And uh, it kind of leaps out of the otherwise neutral fabric of reality to capture your attention. So that'd be like, I mean, I suppose I haven't yet gotten to the question of like doing something beautiful, God, but that's, that's just like a background of, yeah. Like what St. Thomas would say, it means to call something beautiful, right? So like a combo factor of, of knowing and of loving. Yeah. It, 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 I don't know if this is exact quote, but it it pleases the eye upon being seen something. If I remember my own research. Yeah, 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 exactly. (laughs) In in, in all of this. Uh, It's so interesting how, how even that sentence of understanding beauty reflects to all those other pieces and directs your, like you said, attention to the truth and to the good goodness, because something that's, um, it has to have the right proportion, right? And clarity, I believe. Splendor is what he would be talking about, that it needs to be whole in some sense of how Mm -hmm. we understand that whole. And so when it's not, when there's a distortion of the whole of the, of that particular being, then there's a disruption in how we see that, yeah, experience that. Yeah, 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 exactly. I think um, I, I once went, let's see, I was on a retreat in college and we went to visit, well, whatever, we went camping and then we went to mass on Sunday morning at uh, a big church in like Massillon, Ohio. And there's this huge, huge church that had been built by um, like the German immigrant population that first came there in the mid-19th century. And out front of that church, I think it was October, there was this beautiful tree in full turn and the colors, I mean, they were just like electric. It was, it was, it was stunning. It was majestic. Um, and that's like, so this is like a good object of meditation to describe those three factors that you just, um, that you just enumerated. So the tree was beautiful because it was whole, because it was balanced or proportioned and because it was, you know, it, it had a kind of clarity or splendor. So like wholeness, like it has to have everything proper to it. Um, so you look at the tree and it's, you know, it's got a thick trunk, it's got healthy limbs, you know, those limbs branch into, you know, like well-distributed branches. And then they're all full of leaves. Like if, if a huge windstorm had just blown through in a peculiar way the night before and half of the tree were naked, it would look stark, exposed, naked. Um, but there was a, there was a fullness to it or a wholeness to it. What St. Thomas would say is an integrity. So it has everything proper to what a tree ought to have. But then beyond that, too, it's, it was also proportioned or balanced or it had a kind of symmetry. So let's say that that tree were growing in towards the street and let's say that there are power lines there. And let's say that the electric company came and like hacked a bunch of those limbs off so that now there's like a big, you know, a big part of the tree that ought to be there that isn't there that's now missing. We would we would remark and say, oh, that's such a shame <clears throat> or like, you know, would that it not, you know, would that it were not that way. But but it was that way. And so we can see a kind of balance, like everything was growing where it ought to be growing. And then like clarity or splendor, this like St. Thomas will say is something to this effect that you recognize that it's from an intelligence and somehow to an intelligence. It's that the thing that you are witnessing is meant for you by someone. It's not just the result of blind processes. And mind you, you look at the Grand Canyon and yes, there is an interesting geological story to be told about, you know, whatever, metamorphic and sedimentary rock and the different densities of 
the Kaibab Plateau and the Colorado River and how it meanders and its sinuous path through this region over the course of tens of thousands of hundreds of thousands of years that seems to blindly result in this type of thing. But yet when you look at it, you have the distinct impression that this is for me, that this is somehow um, saved from the abyss. This is somehow kind of like picked out of an otherwise bland constitution of material things so that I can see it. This was like intended from the dawn of time for the beholding of my eyes. Why? So that I would be convinced that my life is not meaningless or purposeless or void of you know, any real content, but that by seeing this, I have the a similar or kind of uh, extended conviction that it's worth it, like that life is meaningful, that life has, you know, life is content rich. <clears throat> so yeah, there's this sense that like this has been done. And, and it's mo- I mean, it's most clear in like the visual arts. When you see it, it's like this has been done by an intelligence for an intelligence. Like this artist has had an experience of reality and he's able to translate that experience of reality into this medium so that in seeing it, I could participate or like suffer this experience of reality and have my own humanity kind of given back to me in a new and yeah, like renewed form. So yeah, something like that. I love it. I, I I could just sit here and be like, yeah, keep going. Keep talking. <laughs> this is what um, I wrote about pieces of this in my book. And when I was going through the research, my editor and I, who she is a uh, big Thomist. So it was very, very helpful nice. <laughs> to have her work with me on this. Um, but it, those qualities, because um, when you're talking, when someone's going to write about beauty um, today, like you have to, in my opinion, you have to go to Aquinas. Like you, you I mean, you look at everybody else, like who, who all has written something about beauty and those qualities that he kind of defined in such a way to help you ascertain what is beautiful, what is beauty, if you could slap any type of definition on such a thing, which kind of seems ridiculous, but, um, or at least, uh, <laughs> a grand task, his speaking of those things of integrity and clarity and, um, Oh, which one am I missing? Uh, proportion proportion. Thank you. Is, is, is such a beautiful way. I so <laughs> I keep using that word, but, but beautiful way to speak on beauty to you can see this whole thing of like why it makes sense that when you, for some reason, um, like, like you'd said, like, it seems like there are some things when you encounter them, it was made for you. Like it was made, that moment was made for you to take in, to breathe in, to experience the beauty in such a profound way that it is doing exactly what the transcendental beauty is is geared towards which is this time and moment when you lift your thoughts and your your whole being to your creator and you you praise the creator for this created piece of beauty that has brought you to this level of of acknowledgement that he is God is, he exists and he is there and he loves us so much that so many times that I find in nature when I come across that moment of beauty that I encounter from the natural and created world. Um, and it literally stops in my track, right? It, it like you just stop, you're, you're taking the walk and the sun's setting and you, it's just that moment, right? When you turn the corner and you're like, wow, that moment, the sunset right there at this angle, at this time with those trees and this breeze and the, 
peace around you, that moment, you feel like that's a moment. Uh, what a gift of that moment is that God has created such a scene for me. And, and I don't know what Thomas would say about this, what Aquinas would say about this, but it seems like in that moment for me personally, it's this feeling for me where I feel so incredibly loved so loved that I'm thinking, God, the creator of the universe has willed and created and crafted, and so to speak, with his hands, this beautiful moment and space and the colors in the sky and everything, just so that I can stop and say hello to him, encounter him. Like all that went into... um everything in the natural world that went into this moment of me, in a sense, looking at that sunset, all of the work, all the things that I have no idea about that go into like everything in the atmosphere and everything that happens for the colors in the sky and all these things. And even the fact that I was able to, um, in some ways, escape my beautiful five children to go on a walk by myself, all of these miracles that are taking place for me to encounter this moment of beauty that brings me to a place where then my heart, my soul is lifted to my creator in prayer and in praise. What else can do that? You know, there's so few things in the world that can make that happen like beauty does. Yeah. It's just that blows my mind. It just yeah, blows yeah. my mind. Yeah. I think about it in terms of like, um, so I was just reading this morning in divine intimacy, these like little meditations from father. It's like, Gabriel of St. Mary Magdalene, a Carmelite who wrote at the beginning of the 20th century, but he was talking, he was just representing some of what St. Teresa of Avila says about prayer of recollection. And he says a recollection is, is the kind of highest form of prayer that we initiate right before it becomes like the kind of prayer of quiet or prayer of union, right? These types of things. Um, and I think that like a lot of us have the experience of like trying to keep God in mind. So trying to almost as if to say, make ourselves more present to God. So you have a busy life. You try to uh, offer up little small prayers throughout the course of the day, right? You try to pause before you open a book or pause before you boot up your computer and just recall that the Lord is present, right? As a way by which to, you know, sanctify the day or make it yet more precious. Um, but there's a sense in which beautiful moments, they reverse that experience in that you feel that God makes himself present in a way that it's not that it leaves you passive, but it makes it such that you are more recipients than agent. And, um, like I just went, I just went hiking with a couple of my brothers just this past weekend. And there's something about the, the, yeah, like the synesthetic experience where, you know, you're hiking and you're, you're pushing, you know, so you're, you're doing something arduous. So you're realizing a kind of fullness of human potential. Whereas when you've been sitting in a desk chair and looking at a computer screen, you, you don't feel that to be the case. So there's, there's a kind of vitality that's at work. And then you're, you know, I live in a city. So when you get out of the city, the, the quality, even the texture of the air is different. And it feels like velvety by comparison to the ordinary pollution that you're accustomed to, to drink. And then, you know, at, you know, like at the, you're having good conversation. It's in the context of friendship. You get to the top and then you have this view, like you've suffered for a view. Um, you haven't gotten up there on a cog where, like railroad. You haven't driven up the toll route. You haven't been delivered there by a helicopter. You, I mean, it's, it's the fruit of a kind of trial, which is just a microcosm of all human life. You know, like, what are we doing here but to kind of suffer for a view, if we can speak of the beatific vision in such terms. And then at that moment, it's as if the Lord makes himself present. That's not to say that, like, the Lord has bound himself to show up on the you know peak of every mountain. But it's as if the Lord makes himself present in a way that formerly 
felt more like a struggle or like a chore or like a duty. And it's like, it comes with the immediate sensation that life is good and that life is uh, possible, right? While it may feel difficult, it is yet possible. And that the Lord who is present can kind of keep it safe unto eternity. Um, I mind you, that might be like an over poeticization of the experience because sometimes you're like, wow, you know, I shouldn't have had that many calories for breakfast. I now, you know, like I regret it. Um, but, but oftentimes it is an occasion of great, yeah, renewal where it's like, it's like, it's how, how do you account for the fact that when you go, you know, you drive four hours round trip and you hike for 13 and a half miles, um, and that when you come back to your, to your house, you're refreshed, you're rejuvenated. Like how else do you account for that? Except that in some way, shape or form, God has made himself present in your life, which can sometimes feel a bit of a drudge, um, is, is new. It's like, it's been restored. All right, friends, this has been a pretty long conversation. So what we've done is that we've split it into two parts for you, and I can't wait for you to hear the rest of this. So make sure you come back next week for part two. God love you, God bless, and I'll talk to you later.